0: And I invite the rest of you, if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter seven. I think it's timely to hear a, a testimony like Dan and Heather's just because at this time of the year, in January, there's, there are many ways that it seems natural for us to aim to recalibrate our lives and our, especially our spiritual lives, and that's what we've been doing last Sunday and today, I'm trying to help us to recalibrate uh, our spiritual lives in relationship to the matter of prayer. Uh, last week we gave our attention to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, and we sought to answer the question, uh, why is Prayer is so important. Why is it so important to God and why is it so important for us? Today, um, I want to try to answer another question, and that is, what does God do when we pray? So let's give our attention to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, and I invite you to follow along. As I read the words of Jesus, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? These are Jesus' holy and authoritative words. Let's pray. They're your words, Lord Jesus. You have spoken. You communicate yourself. You communicate your will. You communicate your presence. You communicate your life. You build your people up. Through your very words. You build your church up. Through your words. You shape us and form us. Through your words. You strengthen our faith. Through your words. You, you bring into being. Faith. Through your words. We would ask that. All of these things might be our very experience today. Let life happen in us and among us and through us, through your words. For your glory we ask it. Amen. Well, the overarching question I believe that Jesus raises and answers in this text is, what does God do When we pray, what does God do when we pray? It's necessary that we pray. It's crucial that we pray. It's of utmost importance that we pray. Well, then what happens when we do pray? Before we get to the punchline of that question, I want to begin with another question. What does Jesus command us to do in this passage? Look at verse 7. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So, so Jesus begins with a command, a three-part command or threefold command, ask, seek, knock. What kind of asking is Jesus referring to? Is this this a request for advice? Is it a desire to find counsel that we might receive from an expert or the counsel we could gain from some self help book? Or is it asking for somebody's business? Or is it seeking financial gain? Or is it knocking at the door of your opportunities? Could be a lot of those things, but Jesus clarifies what he's referring to in verse 11 when he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the kind of asking Jesus is talking about is, it's prayer. He's commanding us to ask from God in prayer. To seek from God in prayer. To knock on God's door in prayer. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus is commanding. He's commanding every one of us who are his disciples to spend time asking God for things. Now, perhaps this clarification isn't necessary, but, but Jesus' instruction here, his command is not simply a, a matter of saying your prayers. You can say prayers without really asking for anything you can say prayers without even really talking to or with God what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 is intentionally setting one's heart upon God and talking directly personally to him and whenever you set your heart upon God and you talk directly to Him, something happens. Something wonderful happens. God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, He actually hears you. You will be talking directly to God. And that is ridiculously amazing. And and that is precisely what Jesus is commanding us in this passage, he is calling every disciple of his to spend time asking God for things. But what kind of things are we supposed to be asking God for? I mean, if you if you look through the Gospels, we, we see plenty of examples of the kinds of things that Jesus intends for us to pray for, to ask God for. I'll just give you a list of examples here and see if any of these are on your prayer lists. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaches us to ask for God's name to be revered and hallowed on the earth. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus teaches us to ask God for our daily bread. In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, we saw last week, Jesus says that we can ask God for healing and for deliverance from demonic darkness. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says that we can ask God for more of His Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus says that we should ask God to bring salvation to all the nations. In Luke chapter 21, verse 36, Jesus says that we can pray for our our own spiritual strength. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus says that we should pray that God would strengthen The faith of others. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 8, Jesus says that we should ask God for whatever we need. Now the point is not that those are the only things we are to pray for, to ask God for. There are lots and lots and lots more things that Jesus tells us to pray for. We should pray for big things. We should pray for ordinary things. We should pray for spiritual things. We should pray for physical things. We should pray for others. We should pray for ourselves. Jesus is basically saying, pray for everything that you need. Now, some something should stand out to us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. When Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, notice that these words are all commands. Jesus is commanding all of his followers to ask and to seek and to knock in prayer to God. That's very significant because of what we saw last week in this tendency. It's a, there's a great tendency... For us to not pray at all. If you're like me, sometimes I will have a need, but then then this is how it works. There's this sort of a default assumption that goes on. Well, I don't need to pray about that. It's just not that big of a deal. So that becomes my reason for not praying at all. It's, It's just not a big enough deal. I can take care of that. Or I will think, who am I, who do I think I am to come to God with anything, anything today when I am so unworthy at this moment in time, so full of sin? Maybe you think that way. My sense is that the two main reasons that disciples of Jesus tend to not pray at all, probably fit under those two categories. We either think it's just not important enough, or we're too ashamed. And and right here and right now, we just just need to all understand something. If you have a need, if you have a burden, if you are under stress, if you feel fear, listen. Listen. It's not our prerogative to decide whether it's significant enough for God to consider or whether we are in good enough standing in relationship to God in order to ask from God. Jesus stands right here before us and commands us You shall ask, you shall seek. You shall knock. Loved ones, prayer is not optional. Prayer is commanded. And then there's something else we need to notice in Matthew chapter 7 verse 7. Jesus doesn't just command us to ask God. Jesus commands us to ask God persistently. Because you see, the the verb form of these commands here are all present, active tense. Some of your translation, somebody's translation may actually even translate it this way. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Jesus is not calling us to pray, pray about something once. He's commanding us to persistently ask God for things. And that's important that we understand this because, again, I know this is my tendency, it may be yours, to think that God just doesn't like whiners. I mean, I don't like whiners, so certainly God can't stand whiners or nagging. But God is never overwhelmed or stressed. He's never... Reactive. He's never confused about what is merely a want and what is a genuine need. Persistence does not affect God like it does us. You're just not going to hear God say, can I get you some cheese with your wine? He is God and he commands us to ask him persistently. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking the clear meaning of Matthew 7 verse 7 is that god it is a god given duty no it, it is a god given delight it's a gift of delight in god and it's a gift of god's delight in us for jesus followers to persistently ask god for things now th- now think about this This picture of God. The maker of heaven and earth is commanding us to persistently ask Him for whatever we need. Do you see how deeply God cares for us? He longs to help us. If this verse were to ever take root in us, we will see God in a whole new way. Don't you think it's safe to say that, that none of us are, are praying the way Jesus commands us to pray in Matthew 7.7? And perhaps some of you are tempted to think, I mean, you, you can't mean that we're supposed to pester God like, like little kids, just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, you know? And I suppose that that could be a problem, Theoretically, but how many of of us can say that that's really our problem? (laughs) That we just ask, and we ask, and we ask, and we ask, and we seek, and we knock all the time in prayer. We're much more like the disciples of Mark chapter 9 who don't pray at all. I think most of us err on the other extreme, the other end of the spectrum, where we tend to not ask, period. The next question Jesus answers in this text is, why? Why should we persistently ask from God? Why should I ask every day for God to give me more of the Holy Spirit? Why should I ask God every day that, the, that my love for my wife would increase and abound. why should I ask God every day to open the hearts of people I care about so that they might be saved? Look at verse seven again, "Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. knock. And it will be open to you. What Jesus is saying is that when we ask, and when we seek, and when we knock, God will do something. That's why. God will do something. When we persistently ask, God will do something. It will be given. When we persistently seek, God will do something. We will find. When we persistently knock, God will do something. He will open the door to us. Jesus wants us to get this point really clear, and so he repeats it even more emphatically in verse 8. For everyone, or because everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So, Everyone, everyone who persistently asks will receive. That means that there will not be one person who persistently asks who does not receive. And so Jesus is telling us that the reason that we should persistently ask from God is because whenever you persistently ask from God, you will receive. Asking results in receiving. Seeking results in finding. Knocking results in opening. Prayer makes a difference. If you persistently ask God, you will receive things which you would not have received if you had not prayed. Laurie and I were uh, were reminiscing the other day about some of the uh, pivotal moments in our transition it's been nine years now uh, transition to church planting and uh, one of the most significant pivotal moments was um, when we were we were just Let's try this. I was saying that Lori and I were reminiscing the other day about uh, some of these pivotal moments that were critical in our transition to uh, uh, church planting nine years ago. And uh, really one that that stood out dramatically to us was um, when we were just weeks away from our intention of relocating from Sioux Falls to suburban Washington DC for a year of training and orientation. And um, probably the most significant hurdle that was in our way was what to do with our house. Um, We had a home here in Sioux Falls and given the time limitation, uh, contemplating, <laughs> contemplating selling our house uh, in, in that time frame—that was like con- contemplating competing in the Ironman triathlon. You know, for me, that just was not going to happen. And um, so, we, we felt like we ought to look for a renter. However, given the time frame, given our neighborhood covenants, given the dozens of conditions and various other unpredictabilities, that seemed almost. As impossible. Not quite, but almost. But the Lord was shaping our faith, and so we prayed. We asked God that if he was in this, um, he would supply us with a renter. And we knocked to see if he would open this. It's like a big, honking, heavy, formidable door. And um, with the proverbial and literal clock ticking, some friends of ours invited us to go out for dinner with them. And they knew our, that what we were contemplating about leaving and moving to Washington, D.C., and they were interested in hearing how things were going and, and wanted to know how they could pray for us. And so over dinner, we, we shared with them that the biggest obstacle that remained was finding somebody to rent our house. And uh, after dinner, Lori and I, we were driving home, and these friends called us. This was back when you could kind of drive and talk on the phone at the same time. And uh, they, they called us. And um, little did we know that they were in a situation where they needed to find a home to rent for at least a year. And they said, we'll rent your house. And, and uh, I mean, that was like you almost drive in the ditch at something like that. It was, that was huge. Um, God supplied exactly what we needed and exactly what our friends needed at exactly the same time, at the right time. Now, we could have said, you know, um, this is like, this is is one of those things that that God, this is too big. It's too big. This is impossible. We might not pray about that. Or we could have thought, God's going to do whatever, and so... Why pray? You know, he's sovereign. Or we don't deserve this. You know, other people get things, but not us. Woe is us. So we weren't going to pray. Or since we have no idea what we're going to do next, why even pray specifically? We don't even know what to pray. Why pray God? please bring us someone to rent our house for at least one year and let it be someone we know and bring them to us like in the next two weeks. But Jesus commanded, ask and it will be given to you. So many objections. (laughs) But by God's grace, we were asking, we were seeking, we were knocking. And as the day as the day of our departure for the East Coast drew nearer and nearer, we were were asking and seeking and knocking more desperately, more intensely, more persistently. And not only did our Heavenly Father give us exactly what we asked for, supplying precisely what we needed, when we needed it, our house fit precisely what our friends needed precisely when they needed it. And not only did they rent our house for a year, while we were in this training and orientation. But the next year, when a big curveball came our way, and we found ourselves unexpectedly in the Twin Cities for another 11 months, our friends who had been renting our house unexpectedly needed a home to rent for one more year. Now, it seems important to add that... (laughs) There is a personal burden that I have been praying for for at least 20 years. I have been asking. I have been seeking. I have been knocking. And to this day, after 20 years, that matter remains, insofar as I can tell, unanswered, unfound, unopened, 20 years. Perhaps you bring with you today longings, petitions that remain unfulfilled, unanswered. And this raises another important question. Aren't there times when we do persistently ask from God And do not receive? Aren't there times when we pray really persistently for something, repeatedly, devotedly, and we do not receive? How does Jesus answer that question? (laughs) According to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, it seems that Jesus would say, No, no, there are not times. There are no times when we persistently ask from God and do not receive. And I get that from verse 8, when Jesus says, For everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I find it really hard to get around that word, everyone. If everyone who asks receives, then every time you persistently ask from God, you will receive. And then look at verses 9 through 11. This was really kind of at the heart of our, our worship time this morning. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is arguing here from the lesser to the greater, right? We, we understand this kind of reasoning. We earthly fathers are sinful. But in spite of how sinful we are, if our children ask for something, we're not going to give them something evil. I mean, I'm painfully aware of the fact that I'm a sinful father, but when my guys ask for something, even now that they are adults, my heart, my impulse, it's to respond with a yes. I mean, it kills me when I'm, you know, resources uh, or prudence (laughs) make it impossible to respond to that positive impulse. And so, if, if we sinful fathers would do that, how much more will our Father in heaven, who is not sinful, who is pure and righteous, give us what is good when we ask, every time? That's the way the argument goes. And we can say, fine, fair enough. But still, still, aren't there times when we persistently ask from God and we don't receive? And there are a couple places in the Bible which, at least at first, look like this could be the case. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 says, When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So God says to the people of Israel, go ahead, pray, pray and pray and pray. I'm not going to listen to you. And the reason I'm not going to listen is because you're up to your eyeballs and sin." You're sinning, and you know you're sinning, and you won't stop sinning. So wouldn't that be an example of where people persistently ask from God and do not receive? Not exactly. Because even though the people do not receive the answer they're asking for, they do receive something from God. God sends Isaiah, the prophet, to tell them why their prayers are not being answered. God sends Isaiah to show them their sin. And that's, that's massive. How many of you have persistently prayed for something and not received it and then wondered, mm, I wonder, maybe God isn't hearing me because I'm full of sin. I don't deserve for God to hear an answer. I have a strong tendency to think that way. I have a a friend who's a a psychologist, and uh, he likes to say, there's only two kinds of people in the world. This is a great overstatement, but it's supposed to be his humor. He says there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's psychotics and personality disorders. If you're a psychotic, that would be somebody like me. If you're a psychotic, you tend to believe that every problem is your fault. You, you did it. You know, so you know, the nation is falling off this financial cliff. And I go, yeah, I know. It was me. It's my fault. I'm wired that way. If you're a personality disorder, then you believe that every problem that arises in the world is somebody else's fault. I'm married to a personality disorder, and so Lori will call me, and she'll say something like, you know, I don't feel very good today, and I go, oh, how come? And she'll say, well, I ate this whole bag of potato chips, and I say, oh, honey, (laughs) that is not good, and she'll say, but yeah, you weren't there to stop me. My fault. In this passage, we see that if you're asking God for something, and the reason that he is not answering, if the reason that he's not answering is because of your sin, and don't misunderstand me, that, that would be a serious reason, if it's because of your sin, then in his mercy, in his graciousness, he will not leave you in the dark about it. God will let you know if the problem is due to some sin in your life. And loved ones, that's good. That's mercy. But then there's another place in the Bible where it looks like someone asks persistently and does not receive, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Many of you are familiar with this text. This is the passage where Paul, he he has this serious problem in his life, which he calls a thorn in the flesh, and we aren't absolutely sure what the thorn in the flesh was. But we do know that it was from Satan and that it was chronic. And we know that it tormented Paul. It made him terribly weak. And so Paul asked God to take it away. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul has this significant problem. He's tormented. He's oppressed. He feels weak. And he prays, God, take, take away this thorn. It drains me. It hinders me from, from doing your will. Take it away. And nothing happens. And then later he prays a second time. Oh, Father, I'm, I'm coming to you again you said through your Son that everyone who asks receives, so I'm asking you, please take away this thorn, and nothing happens. Now Paul knows it's important to persevere in prayer, so he prays a third time. Father, I know it's important for me to press on in prayer, so I'm, I'm coming to you again. You know my difficulty. I believe you're in control of everything. You have... You have permitted this to happen to me, and I know that you can remove it from me. So again, I'm asking, take it away." And now after Paul prayed the third time, something does happen. God did not remove the thorn, but God did speak to Paul, as we see in verse 9, and God speaks to Paul and tells him that the problem is not going to be removed, And in fact, God tells Paul that the reason that the thorn was not going to be removed was so that God could give Paul even more experience of his grace and a deeper experience of his power with the thorn than Paul could have ever experienced without the thorn. So, loved ones, there are... (laughs) You know, there are people in your world and my world who who have never tasted of the grace of God or the glory of God or the, the wonder of his power. And they, they hear that and they think that is like the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You call that a God of love that would let you go through that so that you can experience something better? That's nuts. Here's the important lesson. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verses 8 and 9 show us that when we persistently pray for something, God will either give it to us or he will tell us what he's going to do instead. And if we pray persistently, we're not going to be left in the dark. I get the impression that Paul would have probably kept on praying maybe 20 years <laughs> More, Until either God removed the thorn in his flesh or spoke to him. And I believe that we should do the same. So, are there times when we persistently ask from God and receive nothing? The answer is no. You you either get exactly what you're asking for or, or you'll get something better. If you're sinning, and you're not getting what you asked for, God's not going to give you, He's not going to give you what you're asking for, but He will give you the knowledge that you are sinning, so that you can repent, and, and have this sweet occasion to get right with Him. He's ready to receive you. And so, you've received really what you needed most of all anyway. Or, if God does have something better for you, you will receive the knowledge that that's what God's doing. He's not going to leave you in the dark. He clarifies what He's doing so that you can trust Him and receive the better thing that He has for you. So what does God do when we pray? Really only three possible results. One is that you end up with something less than you asked for. But really Jesus says the only way that that's possible is by not asking at all. So that doesn't really count. Second you will get exactly what you are ask, asking, or third, you will get something better than what you are asking. In, in the recent months, I have needed to preach this promise, the promise of this passage to myself a lot, and uh, there's something I've sought the Lord, from the Lord, and it does not feel Uh, Like I have received what I've asked for. It does not feel like I've received something better than what I've asked for. It doesn't even seem that the Lord has provided me with actually a satisfying answer as to why I have not received what I've asked for. But if there is something with which I can identify, I want to encourage you, keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That is fundamentally what it means to live by faith. Jesus is not asking us to entrust ourselves to receiving everything that we've asked for. He is calling us to entrust ourselves to him and all that he has promised. And he has promised that if we entrust ourselves to him and pray, asking, seeking, knocking, then we will receive, we will find, the door will be opened. And in my months, years of praying and waiting, one thing is absolutely certain that as I've entrusted myself to this promise, the promise of Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and continued in asking and seeking and knocking, the Lord has caused my discontentment, my anxiety, to discernibly diminish and my satisfaction and peace in all that he has promised to be for me to discernibly increase. That raises just one last question, and I'm going to make this super brief. The last question is, how is it that God can fulfill a promise like this to sinners like us? I mean, really? (laughs) Why? Should he? How can he? The answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. How can God's promises be yes for sinners like us there's only one reason it's because of christ god cannot be unjust every one of your sins will be punished But you do not have to receive the punishment for your sins. Because God made provisions for sins to be punished when he punished Jesus on the cross. And so through Christ, your sins can be paid for. And God's promises can be still made true for you. To be saved, you must trust Jesus Christ. Trust what he's done for you. Trust what he promises to do for you. Trust his love for you. Trust him alone. And when you trust him, he will save you. He will open your eyes. He'll soften your heart. He'll fill you with his love and joy and peace. He will give you assurance that you're forgiven. And then pray. Ask God for what you're asking, seeking, and knocking about. Ask God for mercy to hear and recognize without condemnation his reasons for delay. Ask God for faith to entrust yourself to Jesus' promise. That's what God does when we pray. So let's pray. Having said all that, just come back to the, the reality, Lord, that as... Crucial and as important as prayer is for us as followers of Christ, as fundamental as prayer is for all the promises that you hold out for those who do pray and persist in doing so, unless you give us. This gift, this inclination, this act of praying. Unless you give us supplication, unless you give us a spirit of prayer. Who can do this? Those who are joined to Jesus. And so we trust you, Christ Jesus, today. We are joined to you. We want to remain vitally connected to you so that we can pray, so that we can know more of your fullness and know more, experience more joy in the glory of God. And so fill us, grant to us what we need. In your name we pray, amen.